Welcome to The Healthy Beast. Today I'm talking to Dr. Zeeshan Akhtar. He's a surgeon who gave up working in a hospital to launch a company called Scout Health. So he used to fix people. The focus in this company is stopping people getting ill in the first place. They just launched an app that encourages people to take more of an interest in their health, get tests if they need them, give them expert advice when they need it. Find out more at scout-health.com. Okay, Dr. Zeeshan Akhtar, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for doing the podcast. I'll call you Z. That's fine. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Now you're a doctor, but you're also the CEO and founder of Scout Health. So you're a doctor and you're health entrepreneur now, is that? That's right, yes. That's right. I've been a doctor for about 10 years. I've been training in, in, in surgery. At the end of 2017, I uh, met a patient who changed my life and um, and made me think very hard about healthcare and preventive medicine and um, as a consequence of meeting that patient I decided that I was going to do something about medicine in general and started to make a, uh, a tech company essentially for one another word um, that's going to focus really on preventative medicine um, and so that's why that's where the transition kind of happened between medicine and, and, and what I'm currently doing right now. So you carried on the day job I did for a while, yes. Oh, so you've stopped the day job? Yeah, I did. In October last year, I took a, I took, I've taken some time out to focus solely on, on, on this project now and to deliver this, basically. And what doctoring were you doing? So I was training in general surgery with a specialist interest in transplantation. So I was, um, I'd completed my sort of undergraduate degree in Oxford and then went to, came to London for a couple of years and then went back to surgical training. And partway through my surgical training, I st- stepped out of programme to do a PhD in Oxford and uh, met some really incredible people um, but then went back into surgery and was training to be an abdominal transplantation surgeon so I'm still part way through my training at the moment um, before I started to get on this road really and start start with this idea with some other friends and colleagues of mine. And what was it about this patient that you yeah, I mean, changed she, your view of medicine? Well, you know, <clears throat> well, she's a very unfortunate circumstance really. She, I was the sort of general surgical registrar working in, in Reading at the time, that's one of the hospitals that we work in. Uh, she presented to me as the uncle surgical registrar with abdominal pain. Um, and to cut a long story short, essentially um, she was in bowel obstruction and uh, she's only 42. And uh, a scan showed that she'd had metastatic ovarian cancer and she died approximately three weeks after I met her. Uh, and there's a, a number of tragic components to that, what happened, uh, obviously, someone passing away was tragic but she had small children and uh, the other thing that was tragic was that she'd had symptoms for so long prior to presenting to us and had she had easier access to somebody to speak to about her health had she had a simple blood test performed uh, maybe it would have been that we just would have been able to get to her a bit sooner and recognize there was something going on and perhaps been able to save her life and when I reflected on that case I kind of realized actually that there's so many cases like that out there and I've seen so many in my my training and I just decided that actually I wanted to do something about it and I wanted to kind of see if we could change change the way that we think about medicine from being what it currently is which is very reactive to being much more proactive and much more about prevention and early disease recognition really um, and that's what our company is about. So this was 2017? That was the end of 2017, yeah. And so what was, and what was it that you wanted to do differently that other people have been doing? Well, I guess what we wanted to do was to kind of see whether we could engage with people when they were 
with when they when they were well to do health assessments for another term of using using it, and to see if we could then use data science to understand about what risks uh, a particular person had. Uh, in their lives right now that would expose them to a disease later on and how we could help that user understand those risks whether it be lifestyle risks or otherwise uh, modify them and help the user track or help the patient track where you know where their health was going in the future so and what so, people would sign up with you and they yes yeah so, so our story is quite an interesting one because when we started we just had an idea we didn't have any funding at all so um we weren't entirely sure how we had this idea has had a bunch of great friends who I brought on board and we thought we, we could we could do something important and the way that we started doing it actually was by um, we, we went into a shopping mall and in Reading and we put up this inflatable pod basically and we, we, we hired the pod for a few hundred quid the shopping mall was very kind to us and let us lease the space for free and we were basically doing free health checks for people. They were walking past and we were just doing health checks for them. So this is you and another, some doctor friends? Some doctor friends of yeah. mine. And, and, and actually that's how we started. And we were absolutely inundated with people who were interested to know about their health, um, who were interested to understand um, about, um, uh, about disease prevention and early recognition of, of, of conditions. Um, and um, that's how we really started with really quite and we were raising money for Diabetes UK at the time so we were kind of that was our bootstrapping way of seeing is this something that people would be interested in doing and um, that's how we started and was it was it Scout Health at this point when you were set up this pod in Reading? <laughs> no. So this is just to, just to see what it was. Exactly. We we actually started as a company called Pod Health initially, and we we envisaged that actually we would be doing these types of checks in person, in pods basically that would be kind of uh, mobile, almost pop up style environments. Um, and actually, we built that initial model out uh, with a much more permanent semi-permanent structure eventually in the same location actually and this time we allowed for diagnostics as well so we allowed people to come in have blood testing done and uh, other tests as well we did that for some time and actually realized that there was still quite a lot of significant interest but we wouldn't be able to scale what we wanted to do to try and be affect as many or, or try and improve the lives of as many people as possible and that's when we decided to go into digital really and make the switch from having physical structures where we're doing health assessments and in person to doing them remotely using using uh, now an application okay so that was so it's just it's an app that people use and they kind of you what you you have to take pinprick tests and stuff is that yeah exactly so the app that, we're, uh, that we've developed basically gives users access to several features really one of which is that it gives them access to a health advisor so someone like myself or a health professional who can answer health questions for them and they have a message board they can they can kind of leave messages on and get responses to so if they're worried about something they can they can they can leave a message with us and we'll get back to them um, they can order testing through the app as well so um, and some of that is organized with the health professional giving them some advice as well um, and so um, if you know anemia checks general health checks cholesterol checks can all be done through the app as well and essentially kits are sent to people's people's homes and they can complete them in their own home um, and then their results are uploaded into the app once once they once they've been completed um, and then thirdly we also uh, continue to give you, uh, you know, people access to bespoke advice so uh, through articles and other aspects that are available through the app as well and is it that they can get things through this that they couldn't get elsewhere is or is it that they just don't get them elsewhere is that the problem say this lady you saw mm. um, is it a question of 
people not having access to the right people or not you know not knowing who to ask and I think so to, to, to some extent I think um, it's several things I think one of which is that oftentimes especially when you're younger uh, and you're rushing around you've got children and other things you tend to put your own health probably slightly lower down the priority list you know you've worried about your job your children etc uh, and I think th what we're trying to do is trying to give people access to um, a system whereby actually we're kind of helping monitor and track people's health. That's the first thing. And I don't think that really exists at the moment. Getting access to GPs for acute issues like let's say for example you've got sore throat or you know um, painful toe can be difficult um, let alone speaking or having access to a health professional for preventative advice that's that doesn't really exist um, um, as far as yeah, easily really so the access through the app how would it exactly work so you, you load up you load up your app and is there a, is there a person on the other end that you're communicating with is it live um, so you enter some basic information um, when you enter into the app basically um, and then you fill out a questionnaire that sits within that and that helps us understand what your health looks like um, and then we can communicate with you about any issues that we've identified um, but if you have any concerns that you have you can also raise them with us and you do it through an inbuilt messaging system within the app so you can message us and we'll message you back uh, it's currently not like a live chat it's like a like an email message board type yeah. of arrangement but that's that's currently what we what we have basically so it's up and it's live now? It's in beta testing right now, so yeah, we are live, uh, but only to a restricted number of users at the moment. So when did you, when did you start testing it? Uh, probably about four, 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 four weeks ago, there or thereabouts. And we, 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 we were limiting the number of users who could have access because we wanted to test it out fully. And so we, we've gone up to the threshold of the maximum that we would allow um, into the system. And we've procured a, a waiting list of users now who are, who are waiting to use the app. So. And how, how do you see it kind of rolling out in, in the next couple of years? Do you think it's because it seems it's it does seem to me the next thing that people should have you know, greater access to health information. This is what interested me when I saw what you were doing. That everyone's so deep into their phones now, it makes sense that you, you do some good things with it. You know, you have some access to things that you might not otherwise have had. So are you going to kind of rolling out more services as you yeah absolutely i mean we have a whole we have a whole every day it seems like we come up with a new idea about what we can do to 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 improve what we're what we're delivering on at the moment and we'll continue to deliver we'll continue to try and make product iterations to make it a better application for people to use but to go back to your concept about people being on their phones quite a lot that's one thing that we noticed and one thing that we're trying to to kind of build this, e this ecosystem around disease prevention through your phone. And I think that's really what we're, what we're aiming for. And, and in some ways we think about it as being the holy grail of medicine. You know, if we can prevent disease or recognize risk for disease early on, then you, know, you can really prevent people from developing conditions in the future. We see that as being the future of medicine really, a medicine that's focused on that rather than just I've got a problem, I need to now go and see somebody, I've got a symptom now, I need to go and see them. And it's about recognising things a bit sooner. Because this is the big problem, I guess you, you'll have found this with your training, that medicine's not really about prevention. In most of your training it's about fixing things when someone comes along and they're broken. But if, if we need to be getting in sooner than that basically, don't we? Yeah, absolutely. That's exactly it. I couldn't describe it more eloquently. <laughs> Because you're because during your training, this is this has come up a lot on the podcast. We 
every every doctor I've had on has talked about their nutrition training or or lack of it because people say various things like it was a morning or it was a couple of hours or they you know they gave us a leaflet something like that but no one's no one's been really taught anything about how to keep people healthy it's just fixing things when they go wrong so did you find that aspect frustrating when you were training did you or you one of those unhealthy medical students that didn't I care did, about it well do you know what I didn't I was so if I'm completely honest I was so entrenched in surgery that you know and I was so throughout my whole life I've always been training towards being a surgeon and so for me it was about operating and anatomy and, and removing tumors and fixing people that way it's actually took me a bit of maturity to, to realize that actually we're looking at it entirely the wrong way around and I think now if I were to go back and look at my medical training I would definitely say yes I hadn't had enough training on, on, on preventative medicine um, I, I would say probably GPs would would have more than me to some extent uh, on that but even then I think if you look at the G, if you look at GPs and their training and the time they have with patients I think they would probably agree that they, don't, they have no time to really focus or very little time to focus on preventative medicine they're largely trying to fix acute issues that people are having um, and I've said that I think there's a real need to kind of begin to shift that and I think that you've got so much technology now as well that allows people to to get information about nutrition, about lifestyle, uh, you know, um, the impact of lifestyle factors, like for example, you know, Fitbit and their walking, um, and how that's changed, that changes behaviours. Um, that actually, that's really exciting. I think it's going to be a really exciting time now for preventative medicine. Yeah, I think definitely. Do you think they'll? It sounds like a dumb question, but it was something I was reading before about. Um, do you, I don't know if you've read Homo Deus. It's the one of the Harari books, the guy who wrote Sapiens and these other things, he's talking about the, the future of medicine and, and will there be any doctors in the future? And I think we're so, we're so sort of stuck in this present of, of, of thinking, you know, it's, it's, this, it's this degree you spend years, costs a fortune to train people, but there are so many things that machines are becoming better at now that very quickly it's gonna to get to a point here so you need we still need people to talk to about things but so much of it's going to be done by machines i mean already when you're talking to your gp you're talking to an enhanced version of a human being aren't you because they're they're, they're always plugged in as they're talking to you so i think increasingly there are going to be times when do you always need the person in the room and I, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think, I think sometimes you won't. But there's one thing that, you know, I think, I think there's one thing I believe in, and that is health is a very human thing. You know, unlike lots of other things that exist out there, I think understanding someone's health, you know, the way that a human being can do that, I don't, I don't think that could be replicated by technology, no matter how good it is, really. And I think, so that I think there's definitely a place for technology. You know, we're seeing incredible, incredible innovation happening in sensor technology and artificial intelligence. And I think all of those things will begin to enhance what we as medical professionals do. But I still think there'll be room for, for us, there'll always be room for, for human understanding the holistic aspects of delivery of medicine. Yeah, the, the, the human understanding bit is, um yeah, that, that's the sort of last bit we'll cling to, I guess, isn't it? The, the, the human warmth aspect. Not that all doctors are very good at that, no, that but, side but, of it anyway. I mean, well, I mean, just to go back to one of your podcasts on, on, on pain, you know, actually a human can understand 
what it's like to be in pain. Even if you just experience a small amount of pain, you know, you sprained your wrist one time, you understand what, it, or you've had toothache, you know, you understand what pain is, you know. And for me as a clinician, to see a person in pain, it, it's going to have a very different feeling than, than saying, for example, telling a, telling a computer, I'm in pain. You know, there's a very different degree. There's no empathy with a computer, right? So, no, although, I mean, one of the things with, I mean, this is part of the discussion, one of the things with human beings is you don't know what you're going to get because you, you're, getting, you're getting a human being who they may be at the end of a very stressful day. They may have had loads of people who have got problems that happen to be worse than yours. And by the time they see you in pain, they're kind of like, yeah, well, those people are in pain, you know, because there's only so much a human can give. And you understand that because, you know, people, are, people have human kindness, but depending on their own personal situation, it runs out. Whereas with the machine, I mean, yet once you've taught them to do certain things, you know what, you know what you're going to get. Yeah, I see your points. I mean, you're right. I mean, the, the, the variability of, um, you know, like someone's response, depending upon when you, whether you see them at the beginning of the day or at the end of the day, is pr probably a bit different, right? I'd, I'd like to intrinsically believe that any medical professional would be trying to give their utmost uh, any time of the day that they see somebody. And, they're, and, and they're, they're in the profession, remember, most of the time because they want to give something back to society oftentimes. I think the the, question, the bigger question for me in that circumstance is how do you allow medical professionals and how do you utilise technology in, in the medical sphere to allow that medical professional to deliver the same level of empathy and quality of care at the beginning of the day versus, versus the end of the day. That to me makes more, makes more sense. Yeah, because I guess you want, the, you want the technology to help them so that the bits they're good at, they're there for and the bits they don't need to be because they don't need to be necessarily just stamping and dispensing things, do they? No, and, and I can tell you firsthand the thing that you know causes the tiredness is not necessarily seeing the patients; it's actually the paperwork that surrounds the whole process. You know, and and if that was somehow streamlined, then actually you could you could alleviate a lot of that burden. Were you um, frustrated with the medical profession? Um, frustrated? I I don't think I was necessarily frustrated with the medical profession was I frustrated with the systems that are in place around the NHS in all honesty yes to some extent I think that's true you know um, and it's you know I don't blame the NHS for any component of that it's just a very complex medical system that's just doing trying to do a lot with lots of very little funding and that's just a symptom of, of that scenario um, but inevitably it leads to frustration because I as a clinician if I'm, if, if we're understaffed, you know, I still have to provide care to people. And when you feel like, when you feel like you can't do a good enough job, of course you get frustrated with the system, especially if it's not giving you the tools to do so. Um, and so, yeah, I think the use of technology to, to help with that as well would be, would be amazing. How, this, when I was asking about kind of AI, now I'm a person completely the opposite I like I when I'm in a shop I don't want to go and use the the BP machines I, I always I think it's I think speaking to other human beings is important but hearing about all these developments I guess you've had to get quite deeply involved with all of that so stretching the limits of what you can do through a phone now as a doctor as a do you find do you find um the training obviously helps with uh, the medicine side of it, but all that kind of AI business side of it, have you had to get 
other people to do that or have you got involved with it well it's I'm very very fortunate because we from our sort of um, from our standpoint we, we we're basically a combination of doctors and data scientists who've come together to, to build this app so um, we're very fortunate that we've got deep expertise of AI within our within our team um, I'm not an AI expert at all but I have a PhD um, where I did some data work, so I have an understanding of data science from a very high-level perspective. What was your PhD? I'm sorry. It was, um, I, it, I did a number of things, uh, but largely I was looking at how you could look at signatures from um, proteins and metabolites in cells to understand which pathways were being affected as a consequence of hypoxia. Um, so we were looking at cells that had been deprived of oxygen and seeing okay, which pathways are being activated and inactivated? And so part of that involved some data science going into that process, if that makes sense. I was just waiting for the bit I'd understand. I didn't quite get there. <laughs> so, 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 I, I, so, so, so actually the specific area I was looking at was in kidney transplantation, okay. so you can understand that. And so when organs are taken out from a, from a body, they're exposed to a lack of oxygenation as they're being transported, transported from the donor to the recipient. And I was specifically looking at that process and how cells become damaged. And part of that involved um, understanding you know, how proteins and metabolites change in the cells of that organ as, during that process. And that's all that really was. And I was using sort of some techniques with, um, which involved integrating those data sets, which is a complex process. Okay, so the, the point you're making is that you got, you got involved with this. Yeah, kind of I kind of had a broad understanding. Yeah, exactly. Stuff and then since, since then, I've been very interested in the process and been very lucky to work with some unbelievably amazing data science, scientists, Rafiq Salama being one of them. Um, and you know, it's um, so we have, I, th I would say within our team, we have a good understanding of, of the implementation of these types of processes. And we're very, and the reason why we think preventative medicine can, can it, we can see sort of a, a new chapter in medicine is because of these technologies that are coming through that would allow us to, to amplify and do much more than we could ever do before. So, so the, the system as you're launching it will be it's a private thing that individuals pay for or well it's um, it's actually largely free to use um, so you, people if it's relevant to them they can pay for testing through the app um, but actually our advice service is free uh, so there's no um, there's no charge for that so anyone can use the app and anyone can just, use the app it's just if you wanted to yeah if you, if, if you needed testing and we would give you we don't make any profit on the testing so we are um, we're trying to democratise access for people to that our advice is not um, we're not going to sell somebody a cholesterol kit because we, we profit out of that it's not, that's not the type of company that we're trying to trying to build so so now that you're not being a surgeon anymore do you, would you miss that are you going to so you'd rather be in the entrepreneurial side you're, you're happy to be kind of businessman or would you miss seeing patients and it's really interesting I never really think of myself as a businessman I really don't all I think of myself as is as a frustrated doctor who's that's what, that's what I kind of feel about myself and my role currently do I miss the surgery yes absolutely I mean I, I miss interacting with patients in the way um, I miss interacting with patients um, and I love being in the operating theatre you know I love completing a procedure I love um, the whole environment that exists there so um, yeah there's Getting definitely hands bloody oh, we've got gloves on I suppose yeah I mean I, I, I yeah I mean I, what, so what physical things were you doing you were I mean 
Well, I've been really fortunate enough to be involved in a number of surgical procedures ranging from, you know, uh, transplantations through to removal of tumours, uh, through to um, anti-reflux surgery, a variety of things, you know, and so you try not to get your hands too bloody because we use a lot of these days minimally invasive surgery and that involves things like uh, keyhole surgery, laparoscopic surgery and even robotic surgery these days. But yes, you do, of course, you know, uh, I spent uh, best part of two years working in Reading uh, doing colorectal surgery and there's, you definitely get yourself uh, your hands dirty doing that yeah, so, yeah. so. One of the, sounds like one of the fun ones <laughs> yeah there's the thing about non-doctors I think they can't my, my dad's a doctor and so is my sister and they always trying to show me things to gross me out oh, really you know like yeah. pictures from yeah but yeah, if you if you've kind of done an arts degree like me and right. find all that thing thing a little bit, I, I'm not, I don't think I'm overly squeamish. But certain things, someone did it to me in the pub. So they showed me a picture of a, a broken finger. Yeah, it was her. It was her brother or something. She he'd been playing rugby. Mm. She said, "Do you want to see a picture of his broken finger?" And I said, "Absolutely not." Showed showed me anyway. Right. Foul. <laughs> This, this person is not a doctor, but we just a bit yeah. a sicko. Right. People are fascinated, aren't they? People are fascinated by human bodies, so I think that's often, you know, that interest coming out for some, for some people, right? Yeah, I guess. If, you, if, yeah, if you're one of those persons who's not groomed out by those things. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, not me, though. Were you, um, are you a healthy person, personally? Um, I would like to consider myself healthy. However, uh, part of the reason why this this venture actually was also started was because I'd, I'd, I'd at the time, I'm, I've got, a, my family history is riddled with diabetes, not riddled, my dad's got extremely bad diabetic retinopathy, which means that he basically can't see anymore very well through his eyes, and he's got a number of end complications of diabetes, and um, so like issues with other parts of his body, his kidneys, etc. And I have watched him grow old a little bit, and actually seen him his health deteriorate and um, I went for a, a diabetes check uh, last last year and was found to be not diabetic but in the pre-diabetic range so that means that my my one of the markers of diabetes was looking like I was going to become diabetic soon unless I did something about it and so I um, obviously a bit shocked a bit anxious because I saw my father's health deteriorate and really didn't want to go down that route. So I actually made some simple lifestyle changes, you know, and as a consequence of that, I went from being in the pre-diabetic range now back into the normal range. For, so I'm not, I'm not no longer in that range. But it's that type of tracking and monitoring of, 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 the, of my markers, my blood markers, that was actually super helpful because I was able then to, 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 um, to kind of... Um, to do something about it, if that makes sense. How long ago was this? Oh, it was beginning of 2018, actually, there okay. or thereabouts. And what age do you know? How old, uh, how old do you think I am? Oh, no, you're not supposed to ask that, are you? Uh, no, um, you're not. <laughs> um, 30-ish. 35. 35. 35. There you go. 35, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I once, someone once asked me that question and I went the wrong way. Did you? And so you, you have to underplay it, right? It was someone, like, it was just someone I did, I knew casually, you know, someone shot, and it, and I got it the wrong, it was a yeah. lady, and I got it the wrong, got it wrong, and it totally, it ruined the, we didn't have a relationship other than sort of, hello and goodbye, but. Because you must I be what, 28? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Yeah, I'm 45, actually. Really? You don't look yeah. a day of a 32. Well, oh, good, I'll take that. That's nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's one you have to be, it's one you have to be careful with. Mm -hmm. So you're 30, so 35. 35. And so you, so you, 
was it because you were doing something wrong with your health that you had this pre-diabetes what do you call it pre-diabetic pre-diabetes you know well you know i i lived a pretty healthy lifestyle i would say in terms of i exercised loads you know i'd go for i'd go for long runs I'm a really keen runner so i'd go for long runs etc um and i don't have a high bmi at all um but I have really bad genetic makeup and I have my, I've got family history riddled with, with diabetes really and so f you know I had to look at myself and say okay well what could I do to myself to kind of try and even improve my glucose control and to try and go basically try and get my diabetic this marker of diabetes called the HbA1c back down into the normal range and I just made some two I did made two changes one of which is I stopped um, taking um, uh, too much carbohydrates uh, uh, particularly simple carbohydrates um, and secondly I moved my evening meal forward so that I wasn't having my evening meal at 8 o'clock 8 30 9 o'clock and was having it quite early 6 30 there or thereabouts um, and those two simple things just just have helped me significantly and it's those types of sort of minor lifestyle changes that you know um, people can implement quite early on and it doesn't necessarily mean that I'm someone like me I'm not going to develop diabetes later but it does mean that I'm probably going to delay the onset of it which is massive because any small increment that you can make early on in your life when you're young has m massively beneficial con consequences for when you're 20 years 30 years down the line um, so yeah yeah I think that's right because in one way you can say oh we should all do what we can but it's also useful to know if you know what things you might be you know increased risk of and you know diabetes is is one of those it's rife you know we, we we do a lot of work within um at the moment we're doing a lot of work within corporations and i would say one in one in nine one in ten people we who pick up diabetes and then or at least pre-diabetes that's not unusual for us to do that and this is but this is another of those illnesses that didn't really exist before is that right it's become more prevalent i mean it yeah it's become more it's become more it's become more um it's become the, the diagnosis rate is going up. There was nothing like in these in these numbers, was it? I mean, a century ago, was it? The pickup rate's going up because we're becoming more, um, we're identifying it more, if that makes sense. But also because our diets are shifted and our lifestyles are shifted as well. And as a consequence of those two things, we're we're, we're seeing a higher uh, incidence, i.e., the number of people with diabetes is, is going up. It's, yeah. gonna, it's it's one of the major epidemiological public health issues that we face in this country, not just in this country. It, in the, in, the, in the Western world and increasingly also now in the Eastern world as well actually um, diabetes is, is, is becoming a major problem do you still eat sugar or you just I've never really been a big sugar person in mm. all honesty no and it's not just about sweets and that sort of stuff it's about um, sort of carbohydrates and about things like things like even things like bread and things like that so pastas you know they, they can they can have an influence on your on your glucose load that you you get I was pushing a nutritionist, it's actually my first guest, Alice, Alice McIntosh, she's, she's a great nutritionist, and that she, um, I wanted her to, to talk about other carbohydrates, and um, her, her thing was not wanting to alienate people, and not wanting to say you mustn't eat this, mustn't eat that, but what I wanted to know was, is th are things like pasta, are they any better for you than sugar? I've asked a few people this, and the short answer is not really. That if you're eating a bowl of white pasta, it may as well be a bowl of sugar. Or almost, you know, if you eat the same eat the same quantity, yes, it might break down slightly more slowly, but 
really it's just it's pretty much the same thing nutritionally and that there's nothing good for you and and it would only be good for you if you were starving and really you know, needed that sugar in your yeah. body to i mean just as i mean say that actually from my, my and this is just my perspective on this you know most people can have who have a balanced diet can cope cope with that i think it's just patients or people um who are in the pre-diabetic or diabetic range should just be careful about the type of carbohydrate they're consuming um, especially people probably also who have a high BMI as well so people who are a bit overweight um, if you fall within that category actually one of the one of the one of the easy things you can do is start to eat less refined carbohydrates like white pasta clearly things like sweets and sugars like really simple sugars you should try and avoid as much as you can um, but that can have a massive impact you know taking those things out uh, and adjusting them uh, can 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 have a massive impact but it doesn't mean you have to go cold turkey on them as well you can adjust your portion sizes so that you have smaller amounts of those types of refined pastas but supplement it with other things on your plate so that you're still getting some but not necessarily getting too much if that makes sense hmm. so, could you talk about health apps obviously there's, what there are tons of is things that you know, count how many steps you do and things like that. Um, do you get involved with any of that kind of aspect of it or, or are you more just uh, blood tests and so forth? And We're largely medical. So at the yeah. moment we do are predominantly based on um, the user's information they give to us about their health, uh, plus blood testing if it's necessary. But we are going to look at including things like step counts in future assessments etc and linking our app with people's fitness trackers etc that's one of the things we'd like to implement in the next um, in the next year or so um, and um, and I think it's hugely valuable because it's step counts as an example are a barometer of someone's activity levels and that's helpful f to understand uh, what, what someone's activity levels would b basically look like and from a sort of advisory perspective uh, when we're giving advice to people it's it's they're often searching for how they can incorporate exercise more into their daily routine and if you have an understanding of, of what the daily routine is you can then give them better advice if that makes sense so I think I personally think those those types of sensors and technology is really great do you use one I use I use like Rob I remember there was a girl I shared an office with and we did that competitive thing mm. of like you know I've done more than you today and I don't do it anymore but I found it useful in that it made me really think about how much I was moving. And I certainly would never have one of those days again where you do nothing. You know, I remember once when I was doing it, it was a Sunday and we went out on a Saturday night and I remember looking at it and just, oh, you've barely, at the end of the day, you've barely moved. And then, so it just made me think about it more. And it made me think about, in fact, part of the reason for starting this podcast was I've just been astounded at how at what we're prepared to put up with in our lives in terms of sitting around and not and not living as we're designed to live you know how much time we spend we spend sit, sitting down not doing things that are fulfilling for us often you know maybe in, with kids they start off i think it's changed now but you know you're doing things you don't even know why you're doing something you're sat in a chair when you're little you don't know why you're doing it and then a lot of people carry that on on doing that through their whole lives you know sat in an office or a shop somewhere just because they have to be not not enjoying it and sat slumped in a chair so just the thought that you you know you remind yourself we're supposed to be on the go we're supposed to be up and about we're supposed to be doing things if we're lucky enough to have legs that work 
you know we should be using them so no I don't use one anymore but it I, it was it was a useful thing to use for a while did you go down I, that I do I do yes yeah, so I'm, I'm quite competitive with my family which has been great actually because I'll compete with my parents um, really? to, yeah and actually that's great because you know uh, you know it's really for me it's a great way to interact with my family uh, to kind of make sure that my mum and dad are staying mobile they're kind of moving around and I'm like how many steps have you done today oh you haven't done enough you know and you kind of have that kind of jovial thing and that's just a way of me staying in touch with them to keep their health health, health keep their health good as well so I oh, that's, that's nice yeah that's the way main way I use it um I'm also um you know I also do a lot of running and so I, I quite I have an activity tracker that's on that kind of keeps track of that and so I, I do it instinctively and it's not something I um yes yeah, so it's something I just do yeah I think I think it's definitely a great thing I mean yeah people do get obsessed um but if you if you think if you think back a few years ago the idea that so many people would be monitoring their how much they walk I think it's amazing yeah absolutely and actually I think to some extent um, that's what we're trying to instill in people with regards to their preventative preventative medicine is that you know that kind of um, wave that's gone with the sort of activity trackers about monitoring how many steps you do well this is like monitoring your health to avoid disease in the future in a similar type of concept you know engaging in sort of relatively regular questionnaires uh, occasional blood tests to kind of see how uh, things are progressing and whether they're heading in the right direction or the wrong direction and getting some real advice from people about it um, in that type of monitoring basically for what you're doing this monitoring is the um is the DNA testing helpful or not we haven't done DNA testing um, and Part of the reason for that is because um, there are certain things that you probably are more predisposed to because of your DNA. But largely speaking, you can you can draw a lot of that out from people's family family history. You know what already exists within your family history, and also um, in the West, it, it, living in the UK, you will also have you know you're more the chance of you developing diabetes. Is, is a bit higher than in other parts of the world. So you know there are certain epidemiological factors that are also quite important in drawing out risk. But then we don't know whether that's genetics or because of how we live, right? Yeah, it's. It, but largely speaking, even if you were to do some genetic testing, it wouldn't necessarily change uh, change things, how frequently you monitor them that drastically, if that makes sense. Right. Um, but you're right, it's something that we are going to look towards and um, something that we're going to look towards implementing but we haven't done so far. Because it's a potentially another another way of... It's just another course. way of bringing in some... It's another way of bringing in data that's relevant to a, to a person um, and seeing how it kind of fits into the puzzle, if that makes sense. So you've yeah. got your kind of... You've got your lifestyle factors, you've got your, you know, your medical factors, your blood work and your, your DNA and that kind of will give you a much better kind of overall assessment. Yeah. I had mine done, my twenty-three and me. You know. Did you? Yeah. So how was your? Do you mind if I ask how was your? I, the health ones were all were all fine. Mm. It just I think it was all just no, nothing interesting to report. I mean, I really did it hoping for some exciting blood. Turns out I'm probably the whitest man I've ever found. <laughs> and, well, it doesn't get much more exciting than Northern European. So did you, so did you do possibly. the ancestry one, or was it the whole thing? It's, it's 23 and me. I, yeah. you, you get to, you can do, I think Ancestry is the, the one that everyone does, and yeah. then you can do a supplementary health, health one, one as well. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the thing to caveat with those types of testing is, is that um, the parts of the DNA that they are looking for 
are based around specific specific types of people so actually it's a test that's been validated against white Caucasian men right so actually if you're like me you know from the Indian subcontinent actually it's the, the types that this the areas of the DNA they're looking at it's not it's not wholly relevant if that makes sense oh really I yeah so lot, lots of people don't know that and so um, what, what, trying to feel me specifically or well many 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 genetic tests the ones that are, are scaled out to this to this extent mm. they're obviously they're not they're not looking for a um, they're all looking at the same place on the DNA sequence if that makes sense and actually there's variations in that DNA sequence according to your you know as you kind of said where the where your blood is from and so um, I think they are useful definitely they're useful they're useful to kind of include but they have to be also interpreted in the right in the right way you know and if you read the small print in a lot of these things they'll say that you know that the, this is not this is validated against this type of person um, mm. it may or may not be fully applicable to you yeah I mean I didn't I didn't get a great deal from it it, it struck me that, it, that they were wanting to do it as a first conversation because I keep getting emails from them right, saying, right, right, you know, right. do you want to I don't know so I think they you know they get you get your DNA and then well, yeah. some people are very cynical about this you know oh, totally, this, totally. This database they're building up and you know too late now so <laughs> I'm on there already <laughs> But I mean, I think it's your right to be a bit cynical about lots of the technological. We just have to understand the limitations of it, you know. And oftentimes, you're not you're not told that when you when you do something. And so, you just need to understand that is this really going to be applicable to to me? And sometimes it is, and sometimes it won't be. Um, and so, you just have to you just have to be mindful of the fact that those types of things will uh, could churn out things that are right, but may not turn out everything that's right. No. How many of these have you done now? Uh, these podcasts. Fifteen in now. Really? Okay. Yeah. So so yeah. New to me. Well, I just I think for me, I just became kind of passionate about my own health, partly yeah. because of messing it up in a few different ways, mm. um, and having children, and just realizing that hang on, mm. you know, it's, it's just yeah. I don't know why I realized this so late, but. You know, you want to grow up and see their children if you're... Yeah, well, you realise your own mortality, don't you, when you have children. Mm. And you realise, especially when, I, and I, I hope you haven't experienced this, but I have, you know, when your health starts to creak a bit, you kind of realise the value of it. And actually, I think one of the difficult things that we're trying to do is trying to instil that a sense of, listen, engage with preventative medicine when you're, when you're early on, because the impact there is going to be so much greater than the impact when you start to engage with it in your 50s or your 60s, where lots of things, lots of disease processes have already established themselves, they're already propagating. Making that small change in your, in your 30s, in your 40s, uh, early 50s, you know, you can make a really big difference. I think I used to look at it as like, well, no, you, you can't do everything perfectly for your health, so you know, don't worry. And, and there's certain things there's nothing you can do about anyway, so best not to not to worry about it. But that kind of that kind of kick the can down the road attitude you can do with everything in your life. You can say, oh well, what's that point? And don't worry about it. And then you suddenly think, hang on, well, I've got to do everything I can because if you're if you're knowingly doing things that everyone knows about for your health or at very least aren't going to do you any good you've got to wonder well yeah I mean precisely I mean you I think you've got once you've had a health event and so talking about something like a, a stroke or a heart attack or whatever then you know that's pretty you're pretty far down the line of having a health event right um, and anything you can do to delay or prevent that 
you know that is that's surely that's that's where we've got to be i was listening to see somebody yesterday and um they said you know that preventative medicine is the holy grail of 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 medicine actually and i, I totally agree with that i totally agree with that it's the sort of thing that you know you may not you may think, okay, well, there's not much I can do about that. I'm just going to develop it anyway. You know, I've got bad genes or whatever. But the truth is you can make some incremental steps in some small areas when you're younger, and actually that will have major impact for later on in life. It does seem just to be a much more normal thing of like to be engaged with their health. I don't know. Maybe it's just because I've got to that point where I'm associating with more healthy people. But it, seems, it does seem to be to be much more... Well, you're, you're part of that generation, I think. You know, like engage much more in their health. You know, I don't know. When I, I don't know when I was when I was a kid, it was a sort of thing you. you I don't know. You didn't look wanted to be seen to be trying too hard, um, and you know, it seems sort of a boring thing to to worry about healthy eating and stuff. Yeah, it's but, almost like a macho thing to yeah. not worry about it too much. Yeah, you'll be all right. But now it's kind of. I I, I definitely feel as though amongst certainly amongst people who are in their 20s they're very health conscious very conscious about tracking and monitoring and I think I think it's creeping up you know yeah it's good to see though dudes talking about you know healthy eating getting enough sleep and stuff like that you know yeah stress mm. anxiety mental health issues of course you know um, yeah I mean, it all kind of plays in together, and to some extent, that's why um, we, you know, when we started doing this thing, we kind of asked ourselves, okay, are we going to focus on few disease processes? Are we going to focus on lots of different disease processes and how they interact? And we decided to do the latter, partly because we thought things like mental health and and um, and physical health, like um, diabetes, etc., all kind of interact with each other, and we felt like the only way that we could have a meaningful impact on preventing disease is by understanding that combination of how physical health interacts with mental health. We need a new, a new word for it that's not, because there's that word, but, but that's come to mean something else, Holis, yeah. holistic, which has become misused now, I think. But, but yeah, medicine is, a, is an overall thing, um, rather than you know fixing this bit, fixing this bit, fixing this bit. Precisely, yeah, and it, people uh, sometimes apply the word wellness, um, and that could be anything from the spectrum of, of you know meditation, through to you know um, looking at how you um, increase someone's lifestyle so that they do more steps to try and prevent diabetes, for example. Um, and I think this is this 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 area of medicine right now with sort of trans this area not sorry not medicine but kind of that transcends from fitness through to medicine that actually is quite. It's where we should be focusing to some extent as a society to see how we can best um, best utilise that area. Yeah, because it, it, it seems to me, again, from the outside, as one of the difficulties of the medical profession is separating things into different bits. Another guest I had on was uh, Professor Edward Bullmore. He's written a book called The Inflamed Mind. I don't know if you've heard about it, but it's, talk, it's talking about specifically inflammation and depression. But his hypothesis is that bodily inflammation could be behind so many different illnesses that affect so many different parts of the body, but it's most of those parts of the body are divided into different branches of medicine dealing with them. Whereas really, he was saying this, this thing of if you can reduce inflammation and, and diet is, a hu is huge in that, you know, diet and stress and so forth. If you can, if you can decrease inflammation, the overall effect on the body is huge and, and depression being just, just one of the, the main things that 
heat theorizing is in a lot of cases caused by inflammation. So, you know, you, a person can spend hours talking about their problems and there could be nothing to talk about. And it could be just a purely physical cause. Yeah, I mean, it's. I think the medical profession in general is notorious for siloing different things into like organ, you know, word, like yeah. into organ systems. Are like, you know, I'm a, a general surgical trainee, so I'm interested predominantly in abdominal stuff. But if it's outside the abdomen, you know, I don't really know. And then I've got to get somebody else involved. And I think we we need to take a a more 360 overview approach to healthcare, generally speaking. And you know, one of the things that we've tried to accommodate in our app to allow for that is to is to give you give people access to specific healthcare, a specific team of individuals. And so, when you log into the app, essentially you're allocated to a, a team of people, which is you know, it's usually one or two GPs plus or minus some other professionals. Basically, it might be somebody with interest in uh, diabetes. Um, it might be someone interested in sexual sexual health. It might be someone interested in psychological health, etc. Um, to try and give that kind of holistic, three sixty approach, whilst also maintaining some degree of like interest and specialism, so you know who your team is, and you know what your you know if you get a message from one of them, you know that that's somebody who's got an interest or expertise in sports medicine. Let's just say, for example. And so that's what we've tried to do. But actually, you know, generally speaking, within medicine, it's actually very. It's, it's 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 just generally not there really. It's almost as if you know you've got your speciality, and if you comment beyond your sphere, the other doctors are like, "Hey, what do you know about that?" Yeah, and sometimes with 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 right with right cause, you know. Actually, you know, I mean, I've been in medicine for ten years, and I haven't probably managed uh, uh, somebody with a heart attack and a myocardial infarction for you know, six, seven years, something like that. So if I was to do it now, it'd be inappropriate. But you know, I don't think you should ever lose some generality, some generality of what you, what you, what you can bring to the table as a doctor. You shouldn't lose that. You shouldn't get too subspecialized without having some level of understanding about different elements. Um, I think we could do a much better job when it comes to kind of um, um, sort of thinking about the impact of mental health in any aspect of medicine. I think that we could do a better job in that. Yeah, for sure. Well, it sounds amazing what you're doing. So, Z, Dr. Zishan Akhtar, CEO and founder of Scout Health. So if people want to find out about more, it's scout-health.com. That's correct, yeah. And the app they can already get you in can, yes. on both types of phone. Well, it's only thing. on iOS at the moment, I, but it's, moment. Um, but it's yeah, if you try to download it now, you may not be able to get access, but we should be releasing a full version in the next few weeks, next month or so. Well, it sounds very exciting. Yeah, preventative medicine got to be the way forward. And so best of luck with everything. Right. Thanks for the well, no, Thanks for your time. Thank you. Thank you to Zisha Akhtar. Find out more about Scout Health at scout-health.com. It's scout underscore health on Instagram. Healthy Beast is at Healthy Beast Podcast. Thanks very much for listening.